Alrighty, folks, this is the Ben Shapiro Show. You may have noticed that we are not opening as we normally do. And that's because today is a crucial day for our company. And I think, frankly, a crucial day for the country. We, as a company, are doing the most important thing that we have ever done. We do need your help. Today, the Biden administration finally put out their long-awaited OSHA rule from the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. They are promulgating a rule via an administrative agency that forces every company with over 100 employees to force their employees to either vaccinate or test or be fired. This is the mandate. It is coming from the Biden administration. I'm going to go through all the details in one moment. And just be aware, this is the emergency temporary standard. They are already preparing a permanent standard that will extend to every company, not companies with over 100 employees, every company. They are saying this openly. They're preparing a standard that could apply not only to every company, but could force fully vaccinated people to be masked, could get rid of any exceptions for prior immunity. There are no exceptions for prior immunity in this OSHA rule as it stands. If you already had COVID, you had it three weeks ago. If you're not vaccinated, you still have to vax, test every week or be fired under this particular mandate from OSHA. If made permanent, they would consider getting rid of testing as an alternative to vaccination. So you wouldn't even be able to test out of it or maybe making tests daily or bi-daily and making sure that you use higher standards of masks. And maybe even at your workplace, you'd have to have social distancing. There's no end date for this. The Biden administration has no end date for this regulation. It's supposed to fully kick into place as of early January to supposedly allow time for employers to force their employees to get vaxxed. They're going to force millions of people out of work. They're going to force millions of people to choose between quitting their jobs and getting vaccinated in a time when the pandemic is already ending and everybody who wants a vax has been able to get a vax and now even children can get a vax. This is authoritarian. It is garbage. It is anti-scientific. We need your help. We've already spent tens of thousands of dollars on our lawyers. We filed a lawsuit as of this morning. We are taking them to court. We'll fight this all the way to the Supreme Court if need be. Obviously, lawsuits cost a lot of money and you have to have great legal partnership in order to win. And that's why we are working with the folks over at Alliance Defending Freedom and over at the Dillon Law Group. We need your help to make that happen, obviously, because lawsuits cost tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars. And this one will probably end up at the Supreme Court. We're going to fight it tooth and nail on behalf of our employees. This is how you fight. You got to fight them in court. You got to fight them with every resource at your disposal. Individual action here is great, but what really matters more, what really matters more is your employers standing up for you. What really matters more is your state and local government standing up for you. So we need your help because again, this stuff is expensive and we are taking a risk here, right? We are not going to comply with these mandates. And the risk of not complying with the mandates is tens of thousands of dollars for each violation. If Biden got his way, he would bankrupt hundreds of companies, including companies like ours, That is the goal. And we're going to fight this all the way. So we need your help. Please subscribe. We really do need your help. Over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. You can use the code do not comply. Get 25% off so you get all of our great content. But really, more importantly, this is the time where we need to get together and fight this thing. How's OSHA going to enforce this? Apparently, OSHA is going to send out agents, I kid you not, to workplaces to check in on you. And for willful violations, not standard violations, like you make a mistake. Because you, oh, you just, oops, you didn't do the OSHA rule. So you get a $14,000 fine. For willful violations, right, we are saying we don't want to comply. For willful violations, a single violation can amount to up to $140,000. They are seeking to bankrupt anyone who is in favor of liberty here. This is authoritarian, not just because of the content of it, but because of the form of it. They're using an administrative agency that is acting outside the scope of its authority to force every major employer and mid-sized employer in the United States to force vaccines on their employees. And their permanent standard is much more onerous than that, and it will extend to everybody. They're openly saying this. Okay, they're not hiding the ball. They put forward a 490-page regulation today. I've gone through it. It is more restrictive and more vicious than we thought it was going to be. Our lawyers are already fighting it as of right now. Okay, on a, on a procedural level, it's insane to think that OSHA, which was not designed to do this, is going to be issuing vast regulations across the entire scope of American life without regard for state and local rights, without regard without regard to the rights of private property owners and private business owners or employees who are the real targets of this, right? It's not the employers who are the targets. It's the employees 
part of the targets. This is the federal government trying to make employers their policemen in their vaccination efforts. And listen, I'm vaccinated. My wife is vaccinated. My parents are vaccinated. You know, because you listen to the show. I'm a huge fan of the vaccines. This isn't about that. This is about the authoritarian mandate that is now being leveraged on the American people. It's disgusting. It's vile. We're going to fight it every single step of the way. Again, we need your help. Please go subscribe right now, dailywire.com slash subscribe. Code do not comply for 25% off. So another note here. Today is the day you need to call your Republican representative, particularly a Republican senator and your Democratic senator. And you need a Congressional Review Act vote today on this OSHA regulation. It will be officially promulgated tomorrow. There is something called the Congressional Review Act. The Congressional Review Act allows the Senate of the United States to reject an agency interpretation of an authorizing statute. The Democrats have control of the Senate. Republicans need to force them today to have a vote on whether or not they are in favor of this perverse and tyrannical regulation. If Democrats all vote in favor, fine, they get to own it. But they need to be made to own it. So call your senator today and tell them they need to vote on a Congressional Review Act review of this regulation. They need to push the Democrats to do it. Again, if the Democrats won't do it, then it's on them and they get to own the tyranny. Okay, so what exactly is in this new OSHA regulation, which will affect you in all likelihood, because the vast majority of employees in the United States work for businesses that have over 100 employees. So according to the OSHA vaccination and testing ETS fact sheet, the ETS is necessary to protect unvaccinated workers from the risk of contracting COVID-19 at work. Okay, here is the problem with this right off the bat. You know what is supposed to protect unvaccinated workers from the risk of contracting COVID-19 at work? Them. You've had, the, you've had every ability for months and months and months and months to go get the vax. If you don't want the vax, that's your problem. We live in a free country. The ETS is essentially saying that we are going to protect you from yourself because you're too stupid to make decisions. This is un-American bullshit. The rule covers all employers with a total of 100 or more employees, with a few exceptions described below. By the way, they're not cramming this down on all the public employees. Or by the way, if they wanted to do this on a federal governmental level, you know what they could do? They could cram this down on everybody who receives federal benefits. You've noticed they're not doing that. They're not attaching your vaccination status to your food stamps. Interesting. Covered employers must develop, implement, and enforce a mandatory COVID-19 vaccination policy with an exception for employers that instead adopt a policy requiring employees to either elect to get vaccinated or to undergo regular COVID-19 testing and wear a face covering at work. This fact sheet highlights some of the additional requirements of the ETS. Employers should consult the standard for full details. So who's covered? Private employers with 100 or more employees, firm or corporate-wide. In states with OSHA-approved state plans, state and local government employers, as well as private employers with 100 or more employees will be covered by state occupational safety and health requirements. Interesting. Interesting. The distinction between private and public right there. Weird. Maybe it, maybe it has to do with public unions. Hmm. Which workplaces are not covered? Workplaces covered under the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force COVID-19 Workplace Safety. Settings where any employee provides healthcare services or healthcare support services because they're already covered by the healthcare ETS. Workplaces of employers who have fewer than 100 employees in total, which of course makes no sense. Making the exception is specifically designed to exempt the most sympathetic businesses. But it has nothing to do with science. It has nothing to do with logic. If you have a, a small mom and pop shop with four employees in a small hole in the wall, just as good a chance you're going to get COVID there as if you're working at a big open air office like we have in Nashville with a couple hundred employees. Also, public employers in states without state plans are not covered by the ETS. Interesting. If an employer is covered by the ETS, does that mean all of its employees must follow the provisions? No, the requirements of the ETS do not apply to employees who do not report to a workplace where other individuals are present, employees while working from home, or employees who work exclusively outdoors. So basically, if you work in an office, you're screwed. Or your employer has to make you work from home, or you got to work in a park somewhere. What does the ETS require employers to do? Develop, implement, and enforce a mandatory COVID-19 vaccination policy with an exception for employers that instead establish, implement, and enforce a policy allowing employees to elect either to get vaccinated or to undergo weekly COVID-19 testing and wear a face covering at the workplace. Again, this is nonsense. The reason this is nonsense. Number one, vaccinated people are passing COVID as well. Not at the same rates as vaccinated people, as unvaccinated people, but they are passing it. Two, what is, what is protecting you is not the masks. What is protecting you is the vaxes. Everybody has had the opportunity 
to get vaccinated. Everybody. Determine the vaccination status. This is what employers must do. Determine the vaccination status of each employee. Okay, so forget about any sort of HIPAA rules. It is now my job as an employer to determine whether you are vaxxed or not. Obtain acceptable proof of vaccination from vaccinated employees. Maintain records of each employee's vaccination status and maintain a roster of each employee's vaccination status. So we need all your information and we need it now. And by the way, if OSHA decides a month from now that everybody needs a booster, they'll just push that too. Support vaccination by providing employees reasonable time, including up to four hours of paid time to receive each primary vaccination dose and reasonable time and paid sick leave to recover from any side effects experienced following each primary vaccination dose. Uh, so I noticed that they don't do this with the flu vaccine, only with COVID apparently. Ensure that each employee who is not fully vaccinated is tested for COVID-19 at least weekly or within seven days before returning to work. Require employees to promptly provide notice when they receive a positive COVID-19 test. Immediately remove from the workplace any employee, regardless of vaccination status, who receives a positive COVID-19 test. Ensure that every employee who is not fully vaccinated wears a face covering when indoors or occupying a vehicle with another person for work purposes. So if you are unvaccinated, we are now going and, and you're testing. We're going to, and we know so you're testing. We know you don't have it, right? Because we're testing you. Theoretically, that's the idea of the testing. We're going to force you to wear a mask. Will force you to wear a mask knowing that you're not carrying COVID, presumably as some sort of stigma for the rest of the company. So we can all so that we can all mask shame you or some such stupidity. Hey, this is supposed to take effect pretty much immediately. Employers must comply with most provisions by 30 days after the date of publication in the Federal Register. Employers must comply with the testing requirement by 60 days after the date of publication in the Federal Register. So within a month, we have to be testing everybody once a week, and we have to gather your vaccination status. And by 60 days, we have to force you to vaccinate, basically, or fire you. And again, they are looking at getting rid of the alternative of testing, period. Again, every single person who wants a vax can get a vax. Freedom dictates that once you have gotten the vax, you leave everybody else alone, and that if you're unvaxed, you take responsibility for that. But the notion that the federal government can activate every employer in America as the health police against you, forcing you, to get vaccinated, forcing you to mask up, shaming you if you don't do these things or firing you if you refuse to do them is insane. To do this on the basis of a law from 1970 under an emergency temporary standard is completely anti the Constitution of the United States. For those who suggest, by the way, that the Supreme Court will approve this, this is because they are ignorant of law. Okay, states are allowed to do things like vax mandates. States are. They have been since the founding. The federal government was never given this sort of authority. There is no case that gives the federal government this sort of authority, and particularly does not give the federal government this sort of authority under OSHA, for God's sake. This isn't, a law, this, this isn't even a law passed by the Congress of the United States and the Senate and then signed into law by the president. It is a broad regulation being interpreted by a workplace enforcement administrative agency in order to cram down these rules on right now 100 million Americans, but get ready, it will be everyone. And this is only the start. We got to fight this now. And the reason we got to fight this now is because I promise you, they're going to go further than this. If they believe that they can get away with this, they'll go further. They'll do it for employ employers who are under 100 employees. So everywhere, no one will be able to work unless you get vaxxed. Okay, again, I am pro-vaccination. This has nothing to do with whether the vaccines are good or not. It has to do whether with whether freedom is good or not in a time when every single human has the capacity in the United States, if you are above the age of five, to get vaccinated and thus protect yourself and then leave everyone the hell alone. And, and it's not going to stop even there. Because I promise you, now that the FDA and the CDC have cleared the vaccines for 5 to 11-year-olds, you think this administration isn't going to push for mandatory vaccination of 5-year-olds in public schools? You think they're not going to push for that? I have serious doubts. Hey, this is an authoritarian administration. This is tyranny. It is tyranny. And we'll challenge it in the courts. We'll, we'll do whatever we must in order to prevent the implementation of this authoritarian nonsense. And again, it's expensive. We need your help to do it. So please, you know, I've made this sort of appeal before, but frankly, I think this is the most important appeal we've ever made at this company. We need your help right now. Please go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code do not comply for 25% off. It is just insane for me. By the way, the way that they are justifying all of this is by saying that unvaccinated workers face grave danger, grave danger. Really, my 20-year-old unvaccinated workers are facing grave danger, are they? Truly? By the way, if they were facing grave danger, don't you think that they would go get vaccinated? 
And if they don't believe they're facing grave danger, but they have the ability to get vaccinated, isn't that their problem? Isn't that their freedom? Isn't that a liberty decision for them? They're saying an ETS is necessary because workers are becoming seriously ill and dying as a result of occupational exposures to COVID-19 when a simple measure of vaccination can largely prevent those deaths and illnesses. So what? You know better than they do. Therefore, you get to force them. It's just, it's vile. It's vile. But what can you expect from a Biden administration that has become increasingly more authoritarian day by day? And the, the authoritarianism here is the feature, not the bug. It is the goal. The goal is the control. The goal is not curbing COVID at this point. COVID has been curbed in terms of its reproductive number. Okay, this is not about preserving the health of workers, all of whom have the choice as to whether they want to go get vaccinated or not. This is simply about control and maintaining the illusion that if Joe Biden, a senile old bag of stupid, hits a button, he will magically fix all of your problems by forcing you to do what he wants. Stand up right now, or you will not be able to stand up later. Unite or die. Make sure you go over to dailywire.com slash subscribe, please. I'm really, help us out. 25% off when you use that promo code, do not comply. Alrighty, now on to the regularly scheduled show. After taking a shellacking across the country, Joe Biden and the Democrats call for more spending and say they haven't done anything wrong at all. It's the children who are wrong. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Thousands of my listeners have already secured their internet. Join them at expressvpn.com. Slash Ben will get to all the news in just one moment. First, Black Friday is coming up, but you don't need to wait until Black Friday to start saving money right now, like in the here and now. Look at that bill, right? The bill that comes every month, the one from your cell phone company. You're spending too much on it. So stop it. Go to Pure Talk USA and do what the rest of my listeners are already doing. Pure Talk gives you killer 5G coverage on one of the largest 5G networks in the country and still saves the average family over $800 a year. I made the switch. The coverage is great. Their US-based customer service actually cares about you. And Pure Talk's prices are pretty much wholesale. Unlimited talk, text, six gigs of data for just 30 bucks a month. Keep your number, keep your phone, or this month, get Black Friday prices on new phones like the iPhone 12 for just $479. They've got a 30-day risk-free guarantee, so you literally have nothing to lose. Go to puretalk.com, shop for the plan and phone right for you. Then enter promo code Shapiro, and you will save 50% off your first month and save on a new phone. That's puretalk.com, promo code Shapiro. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Some restrictions apply. See site for details. Save yourself a bunch of money on your cell phone provider coverage today by switching over to Pure Talk at puretalk.com. Enter promo code Shapiro to save 50% off your very first month and save on your new phone. Alrighty, so Democrats are now responding to the shellacking that they took across the country. It was not just in Virginia. In New Jersey, for example, Phil Murphy barely pulled out a gubernatorial race. He was supposed to win by eight to 10 points. And members of the New Jersey congressional delegation are looking cross-eyed at the results. They are just confused by them. They're not sure what to do with them. According to Mediaite, one of the uh, one of the Congress people from Jersey said, quote, effing disaster down ballot, way too close at the top. Not enough excitement at the top of the New Jersey ticket. Biden, COVID, et cetera, no accomplishments. Should have passed infrastructure a month ago. Now, as we'll see, this is going to become a recurring Democratic theme is if only we had done more of that thing that we promised to do and that people hated us for, then things would have gone just swimmingly. According to the Washington Post, the Democrats are reeling and they see a threat to the House and Senate control as Republicans crack their 2020 coalition this is the Washington Post. Again, Democrats reeling from the party showing on Tuesday night were sharply critical of its direction and agenda, already the subject of months of infighting on Capitol Hill, concluding it threatens to devastate their efforts to hold on to the House and Senate next year, much as it dragged down this year's candidates. Now, remember, in Virginia, right, there were districts that shifted 10, 15 points. In New Jersey, there were districts that shifted 16 points. New Jersey basically went dead even after Joe Biden won the state by 16 points last time around. Well, if you look at all the congressional districts that are within like 10 or 15 points for Democrats, you're talking upwards of 70 congressional districts for Democrats that theoretically could be in competition. Even if you go conservative on that and you say everything that's within six or seven points, you're still talking about 40 to 50 seats for Democrats that are in serious trouble in the House. You're looking at a swing that looks a lot like the 2010 swing for the Republicans in that particular election year. The Democrats lost upward of 60 seats in the House. If that were to happen, Republicans would emerge with a vast majority, considering the House is pretty evenly split right now. And when you look at the Senate map, Democrats actually had a pretty good year on their hands in the Senate, at least in, a, in an off-year election. Right? They had a Senate map that was very much tilted in their favor. Not a lot of lean Democrat seats that were up, a lot of lean Republican seats that were up. 
And that was a problem for the Republicans. Well, now with the ground shifting under their feet, they have to be looking at the map and they have to be quite fearful. According to the Washington Post, in Virginia, a state that has become reliably blue in recent years, Republican Glenn Youngkin defeated Democrat Terry McAuliffe. According to an AP projection, in New Jersey, Democratic Governor Phil Murphy was struggling for his second term. The circumstances in the two governor's races all but confirmed the collapse of the coalition that propelled Democrats to power during the Donald Trump administration and Joe Biden to the presidency in 2020. In the election's wake, there are fresh doubts in the party about Biden's ability to push his domestic agenda across the finish line and to repel the new attacks Republicans have opened on culture fronts, especially over schools. Again, remember the way that this works? is if Democrats do incredibly radical stuff, that's not an attack on the status quo. If Republicans notice, then it's Republicans who have started a culture war. That's the way the media portray all of this. A new round of upheaval, according to the Washington Post, over the party's priorities and strategies appeared imminent. An estimated 3.3 million people turned out to vote in Virginia, easily outpacing the last two gubernatorial elections. So again, the lie that Republicans need people to stay home in order to win, it is just that. It is a lie. In the eyes of Democrats, that reflected alarmingly high enthusiasm in conservative strongholds and a disturbing shift in the kinds of suburban areas that powered their gains in 2018 and 2020. Big Republican turnout and the suburbs moved back to where they were pre-Trump, said Jared Leopold, a former Democratic Governors Association spokesman. I think the education piece was a big part of it. Youngkin had a message about education that was framed in a positive way for parents. So what exactly is happening here? What's actually happening here is that the United States is a 50-50 country. Okay, the United States has been a 50-50 country for a very long time. It is not a 60-40 country, as Democrats would have it, nor is it a country where a durable Democratic majority is emerging demographically. So this was the argument that Democrats continued to make basically every single day after 2012. In 2012, Barack Obama broke all of the election models. He broke the election models because he was supposed to lose. He was not a good president. He was not particularly popular. He had lost some millions of votes from his victory in 2008. He won a big victory in 2008. He lost about 3 million votes between 2008 and 2012, and he still won re-election. And political scientists like Roy Teixeira over at The Atlantic were arguing that this is because, because Barack Obama had created a new durable democratic coalition. Like This was the pitch. The pitch was that, that Barack Obama's new democratic coalition was going to fundamentally shift how politics was done in the United States. Writing for the Center for American Progress, Teixeira and a guy named John Halpin, they wrote, quote, Obama's strong progressive majority built on a multiracial, multiethnic, cross-class coalition in support of an activist is real and growing, and it reflects the face and beliefs of the United States in the early part of the 21st century. The Center for American Progress called the strategy, quote, the culmination of a decades-long project to build an electorally viable and ideologically coherent progressive coalition in national politics. In other words, identity politics cobbled together enough minorities and college-educated white liberals to win election after election. You don't have to pay attention to the suburbs. If the suburbs come along with you, great. If they don't, oh well. You don't have to pay attention to the rural areas. And then Trump came along and he narrowly eked out a victory. And Democrats were able to blame that on basically the Russians and Facebook and, and claim that he cheated. But they kept that utopian dream alive, of this durable democratic coalition. And then in 2020, Biden won and he recapitulated the Obama coalition. But it turns out he didn't create the recreate the Obama coalition because that coalition is particularly durable. He recreated it because Donald Trump was on the ballot and Trump had largely alienated suburban women. Hey, that was the story of the 2020 election. If Trump had performed in 2016 among suburban women the way that he did in, in 2020, he would have lost and vice versa. If he had performed in 2020 the way he did in 2016, he would have won with suburban women in 2020. Okay, so it was not really about Biden recreating the coalition, but Democrats have decided that that, that utopian vision of the undefeatable coalition is real. And so they keep doubling down on this stuff over and over and over. And reality just keeps proving them wrong. It turns out that Barack Obama was an electoral outlier. He hadn't created a new durable coalition. He was an electoral outlier because he's a very talented politician and because he, in his own identity, was very attractive to the American people who wanted to move beyond race. Obama then blew that opportunity for the United States, broadly speaking. But that was the pitch. Okay, if Obama was the outlier, then nobody should be particularly shocked at the results in Virginia or in New Jersey. The United States is not a hard left country. It is not a country with an emerging progressive majority that wants to become like Denmark. That's not what the United States is. We are a pretty moderate country. We have some right-leaning views, particularly culturally speaking. On economics, we tend to be somewhere in the middle. This is not a hard right country, nor is it a hard left country. And the left keeps misreading the tea leaves. Now, the right would be mistaken to think that this means everlasting victory for the right. But so long as the left keeps cruising toward the left, they're opening up the middle for people like Glenn Youngkin. 
They're opening up the middle for Republicans. And all Republicans have to do is run down the middle and not be crazy. Again, we not, this is how low the bar is in American politics right now. Whichever party is not crazy wins. End of story. Whoever is perceived by the American public as less crazy is going to win. And Democrats right now have embraced a bunch of crazy crap. And Republicans are basically just sitting there. Republicans are now running the Biden campaign from 2020. They are sitting in the basement doing nothing and just pointing their finger like Donald Sutherland at the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And Americans are like, that's true. Okay, <laughs> they're pretty crazy. You don't want to vote for those guys. I mean, it is it, the way you can tell this, by the way, is because literal anonymous people are winning office right now. There is a guy who just won named Edward Doerr over in, over in New Jersey. He's a truck driver. He spent $150 on his campaign, 150 bucks, right? Like a nice dinner for you and your wife, 150 bucks he spent on his entire campaign. And he defeated the sitting president of the state Senate in New Jersey by a couple thousand votes. Was that because he was such an unbelievably attractive candidate? No, all he had to do was just stand there and not be dead, but also not be super alive, right? We are now in a, a political moment where both parties seem to be increasingly kind of crazy. The Democratic Party is going way more crazy right now than the Republican Party is, and everyone can tell. And so the entire map is now tilting to the right. It's tilting red. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, you know, there are certain medical problems that people tend to ignore because it's uncomfortable to talk about them or you just hope they're going to go away. Erectile dysfunction is one of those medical problems. If you're suffering with that, just go get it solved. Go to GetRoman.com slash Ben right now. You can speak to a U.S. licensed healthcare professional about erectile dysfunction and get $15 off your very first month of treatment. ED is a lot more common than most people think. In fact, 52% of men between the ages of 40 and 70 will experience some form of ED. So don't be embarrassed about going to get help, especially if you can do it quickly and discreetly. Roman Ready is confidence personified. It's the self-assurance that comes from knowing that your body is going to work the way that it needs to work. Roman's system is completely confidential, totally discreet, no big logos or labels on the packages. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, convenient, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Go to GetRoman.com slash Ben. Complete that online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Go to GetRoman.com slash Ben today. If you're prescribed, 15 bucks off your very first month of ED treatment. Make sure you're ready to have the confidence and control you need. Roman ready. GetRoman.com slash Ben today. Alrighty, so what does this mean practically in terms of the map? Well, Larry Sabato, who is, again, a left-leaning guy who runs the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia, he has something called the crystal ball. The crystal ball is, is ratings for particular Senate races. And right now, he has just moved a bunch of races away from the Democrats. So Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada were lean D. I, I always thought, by the way, that that was a bit of an overstatement. They are now considered toss-ups by Larry Sabato. Colorado, which was a safe Democratic seat, is now being shifted to a likely Democratic seat. Okay, so if you look at the map right now, that means that lean Republican seats include Wisconsin, which remains a lean Republican seat, and Ohio, which remains a likely Republican seat. Unclear who's going to emerge from that Ohio primary, whether it's J.D. Vance or whether it's Josh Mandel. It'll be interesting to see because both of them are very Trumpy. In the toss-ups, according to Larry Sabato and the Center for Politics, over at the University of Virginia, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada. Republicans only need to pick up two of those in order for them to win control of the Senate. Nevada looks pretty good for them. Nevada is, is, a, is an ugly scene right now for the Democrats. Georgia, I think Republicans just win back. I think Republicans win back Georgia. I think it was a fluke that they lost the last time. I think it was largely driven by the fact that Donald Trump decided in the final days of the campaign that he was going to tell Republicans not to vote because of charges of voter fraud or some such other silliness. The reason I call that silliness is because whatever you think of voter fraud, not voting is a really, really dumb and stupid solution to that, considering you handed two seats to the Democrats in Georgia, which is, in fact, a red state. Hey, Arizona, it is not Kristen Cinema who's up in Arizona. It's Mark Kelly who's up in Arizona. But that state seems to be trending red again because of the nature of the, the political moment. Pennsylvania is a harder state for Republicans, but a bunch of Pennsylvania appellate court judges were just elected as Republicans. So if there is low turnout in some of the big cities and Democrats do not duplicate what they did in 2020 in Pennsylvania, that could go Republican too. So if all shifted to the Republicans, you'd be looking at 53 seats for the Republicans in the Senate. And remember, all they need to do is pick up two. They just need to hold in Wisconsin and they need to pick up two more seats. That's it. And if they do that, they win the Senate. 
So this is now, I would say, a likely Republican Senate map. And Democrats are looking at that and they realize that. They're likely to lose both houses of Congress in the next election cycle. Okay, it's a, it's a disaster for them. And so, once again, they are presented with some choices. Okay, the choices for the Democrats are, you can follow the moderates, you can follow the progressives, or you can follow the crazies. Now, I know that everybody in politics right now is separating the, the Democrats into two categories rather than three. Right? They're saying they're the moderates and they're the progressives. And among the moderates, they're counting people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden. This is incorrect. Right now, the Democratic Party is divided in three ways. It's divided between the crazies, that would be on the spending side, Pramila Jayapal from Washington. On the, on the overall side, that would be the squad. The moderates, this would be in the House, people like Abigail Spanberger from Virginia. And in the Senate, it would be Manchin and Cinema. And then you have the progressives. The progressives are actually Biden and Pelosi and Schumer. The Democrats right now are heavily loaded toward the progressive side. They could stop this. Right? They could do what Bill Clinton did after he got blown out in 1994. He, he lowered capital gains taxes. He signed on to welfare reform. He started working with, with the Republicans on the other side of the aisle to come up with some sort of moderate policy. Do you think the Democrats are really going to do that? Or are the Democrats going to keep doubling down on stupid? It's fascinating to see how this breaks out down media and, and across the Democratic side of the aisle, because this is a real open argument in the media and on the Democratic side of the aisle. I, I think it's kind of hilarious that every time Democrats lose an election, they have this brief moment, this just brief moment, particularly the media. They have a brief moment where they're like, what if we talked to people? What if we got out of this little bubble that we live in here on Twitter? And we actually went and talked to people who don't think like us. And we tried to comprehend what they were saying. Jim Acosta had this brief moment of clarity yesterday on CNN. It was quite amusing. If you look at what happened in those red counties, those bright red counties from uh, the Shenandoah Valley all the way down to southwestern Virginia, that is Trump country. Uh, and Democrats have not been able to make inroads in that part of Virginia and those kinds of rural areas around the United States for a very long time now. And I suspect that Democrats may need to do uh, a little less lecturing and more listening when it comes to those rural voters to help them get back uh, into the good graces of those kinds of Americans. Now, I always laugh when I hear this sort of stuff from the media because they spent four years doing precisely the opposite. Right after Trump won, there was this brief moment in time where Democrats are like, maybe we should read Hillbilly Elegy. Maybe we should actually send Selena Zito out to talk to these, these Trump voters as though she was like Jeff Corwin going into the wild or something. And they'd wear like Australian hats. And they'd be, who are these Trump voters? What are they doing? How do they think? <laughs> and then after five minutes, they're like, no, nah, they're all racist. We're not going to pay any attention to them anymore. Probably it was Facebook. Probably it was the Russians. So they have this brief moment of clarity. And in that brief moment of clarity lies the possibility for democratic hope. They're probably not going to take it. I mean, there are other commentators who are providing sort of this moment of clarity as well. For example, there's a one former Obama advisor, Stephanie Cutter, and she says, you know, what we're really scared of is that the Republic Republicans are going to become the party of parents. Right? We tend to break Americans down by demographic group, by racial group, by age group. But there is one group of people who actually are united by interest that pretty much nobody has taken advantage of yet. And that, of course, are parents. Right. Once you have kids, your interests change. There's a reason that married women with kids vote very differently than single women. Here's Stephanie Cutter recognizing that reality. The one thing that we need to make sure that uh, Republicans in 2022 don't become is the party of parents, mm -hmm. uh, because we need to be the party of parents. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we are. We're the ones that care about school funding. We're the ones that care about making sure that parents can send their kids to school. Uh, because they have jobs to go to. You know, all of this, we need to own that agenda. We cannot let it go. And it's not just about critical race theory. It's a, it's coming out of COVID. It's parental frustration. It's parents being involved in their kids' schooling. We need to pay attention to all of it. Okay, she's right about this. Democrats have no capacity to shift. They have no capacity to shift on this. They're in hock to the American Federation of Teachers, which fought hard against kids going back to school. They believe that the American Federation of Teachers should be able to determine solely how your kids are taught. It's, it's very hard to make the case that you're the party of parents when you're also the party of abortion. That's a very difficult argument to make, just philosophically speaking. So Democrats have a real problem on their hands with regard to this stuff. The New York Times is recognizing that as well. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, if you own a business, you know there aren't enough hours in a day to waste time playing phone tag. A list of customers you need to reach, it doesn't get any shorter, especially when business is good. And here's the thing. If you are a customer and you've ever gotten a call from a random business, do you ever pick up the phone? You always let it go to voicemail, right? But if somebody texts you from a business, you now have the information and you can text them back. Like, I, 
just as a customer, I use texting with businesses a lot more frequently than I ever pick up the phone from a business. This is why local businesses everywhere are turning to Podium. Podium makes every interaction as easy as sending a text. So everything that makes your business great can get done faster. Podium isn't just a better way to communicate. It's a better way to do everything. Gathering reviews, collecting payments, even marketing to your customers. Podium makes it all as easy as pressing send. You won't just free up more time. You'll grow your business and get more done because, again, more people respond to the text. Join more than 100,000 businesses that already use Podium to streamline their customer interactions. Get started for free at podium.com slash Shapiro or sign up for a paid Podium account. Get a free credit card reader. Restrictions apply. That's podium.com slash Shapiro. Again, podium.com slash Shapiro. Go check them out right now. So Stephanie Cutter is right. And Republicans are realizing that if they if they go after the parental vote, they're going to do much better, which prompts this hysterically funny headline from The New York Times. Quote, Republicans pounce on schools as a wedge issue to unite the party. Oh, so much pouncing. It's not the Democrats have perverted the schools and Republicans are responding to it. It's Republicans pounce, 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 pounce. It's like Simba as a cub in The Lion King. Pounce. So much pouncing. According to the New York Times, after an unexpectedly strong showing on Tuesday night, Republicans are heading into the 2022 midterms with what they believe will be a highly effective political strategy, capitalizing on the frustrations of suburban parents still reeling from the devastating fallout of pandemic era schooling. Seizing on education as a newly potent wedge issue, Republicans have moved to galvanize crucial groups of voters around what the party calls parental rights issues in public schools, a hodgepodge of conservative causes ranging from eradicating mask mandates to demanding changes to the way children are taught about racism. Yet it is the free-floating sense of rage from parents, many of whom felt abandoned by the government during the worst months of the pandemic, that arose from the off-year elections as one of the most powerful drivers for Republican candidates. Across the country, Democrats lost significant ground in crucial suburban and exurban areas, the kinds of communities that are sought out for their well-funded public schools that helped give the party control of Congress and the White House. In Virginia, where Republicans made schools their central pitch, education rocketed to the top of voter concerns in the final weeks of the race, narrowly edging out the economy. And a lot of credit there to Luke Rosiak again, our investigative reporter here at Daily Wire. You want to help out investigative reporting like Luke's, make sure to subscribe at dailywire.com slash subscribe with promo code Real News for 25% off. According to the New York Times, the message worked on two frequencies. Pushing a mantra of greater parental control, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican candidate for governor in Virginia, stoked the resentment and fear of some white voters who are alarmed by efforts to teach a more critical history of racism in America. Gotta love how the New York Times is like, these stupid parents duped by Glenn Youngkin into being white supremacists. He attacked critical race theory, a graduate school framework that has become a loose shorthand for contentious debate on how to address race. No, no. And he released an ad that was a throwback to the days of banning books. So they're just doing propaganda work on behalf of the Democrats. Like, keep doing this. Seriously, Democrats, New York Times, please keep saying that parents who are concerned about their kids being taught racial essentialism in public schools, being taught that if you are white, you're inherently privileged. And if you're black, you're inherently victimized. Please. Keep telling parents that their kids being taught that stuff is good and they need to sit down and shut up. And the Republicans who know this are pouncing. Please, Democrats in the media, keep saying that public schools should be cramming down masks on children who are generally safe from COVID. Again, the total number of kids who have died from COVID who are healthy prior to COVID is 10 to 20 across the entire United States, across the entire pandemic, according to Marty McCary of Johns Hopkins University. Please. Keep telling parents they can't send their kids to school until they vaccinate their kids. Let's see how well this works out for you. That's not Republicans pouncing. Again, that is Democrats going crazy and Republicans noting it. That's all that Republicans are doing. If you want to see some pretty devastating results for Democrats, forget about the gubernatorial race in Virginia. Take a look at how the school board elections went the other night across the country. They went very poorly for the Democrats. As the New York Times notes, however, Youngkin and other Republicans tapped into broader dissatisfaction among moderate voters about teachers' unions, unresponsive school boards, quarantine policies, and the instruction parents saw firsthand during months of remote learning. In his stump speeches, Youngkin promised to never again close Virginia schools. Terry McAuliffe and his party eagerly condemned the ugliest attacks, but they seemed unprepared to counter the wider outpouring of anger over schools. This is, again, of course, they, they can't counter it because they're in favor of the indoctrination. That's the whole thing. They're in favor of the indoctrination. They like the indoctrination. They like the top-down control. That's the point. This is embedded deep in the marrow of the Democratic Party at this point. The public schools as indoctrination centers for left-wing policy. So yes, this is a winning issue for Republicans. Now, Democrats could turn away from it. Are they going to? Democrats could also turn away from their inflationary monetary policies. They could turn away from unpopular spending policies. They could turn away from all this stuff because remember, it wasn't just education. It was also econ economic policy. It was Joe Biden being unpopular. It was a lot of issues here. Democrats are in trouble across the board. 
that would generally necessitate a very sharp turn. Are they going to make that turn? We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that, you know, for me, I sort of go through these bouts where I'm exercising a lot and then I'm not exercising as much because I'm traveling a little bit more or because there's just too much going on in life. You put on a little bit of weight. I'll tell you what has been super helpful for me. I'm talking about Echelon. Echelon brings the gym home, and I can't always make it to the gym. When you're trying to reach your fitness goals, it can really help to have a world-class instructor choreographing classes, music from your favorite artists, a community of hundreds of thousands of people who can give you that extra push. One of the things I like about Echelon, I have a little bit of a competitive streak when it comes to exercise. And so while you're biking, you can see where you're ranking versus everyone else. Echelon gives you that. Echelon is the affordable way to get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort of your own home. Echelon's fitness app provides you thousands of live and on-demand classes with excellent music. And with Echelon, you can work out anytime, day or night, crush your fitness goals. Just pick your class, climb the leaderboard, cheer each other on, give it your all. Echelon's certified fitness instructors are supportive, engaging, and fun, and they know how to get you moving. I know because they get me moving. They've got a full range of affordable workout equipment. They've got stationary bikes. That's what I have. They've got smart rowers. They've got fitness screens. They've got the auto-folding treadmill. All are connected to provide that Echelon experience. And if you get a membership, it covers a family of five. Right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text BEN to 818181. Again, text BEN to 818181. Get up to 800 bucks off MSRP. Text BEN to 818181. Go do that right now and get yourself in shape the echelon way by texting Ben to 818181. Get 800 bucks off. Alrighty, so are the Democrats going to actually start moving away from their radicalism? No. I mean, the answer, the, the quick answer is no. Like Christopher Walken on SNL, they've got a fever and the only prescription is more cowbell. That is the, that's all they've got. So they have a few strategies here. Strategy number one. We're going to pretend that this didn't happen. It didn't happen. You know, what happened in Virginia was natural. It was normal. When there's a massive blowout in Virginia, where a former DNC head and former Virginia governor gets his ass kicked, that is not worth, it's not worthy of discussion. Here was Joe Biden yesterday saying, well, you know, this sort of thing happens. Pretty much every, uh, pretty much every election, Virginia switches to the, the party of the, of the opposition. Here, here we go. Here's Joe Biden. I was talking to Terry to congratulate him today. He got 600,000 more votes than any Democrat ever has gotten. We brought out every Democrat about there was more votes that ever has been cast for a Democratic incumbent. I'm not incumbent, a Democrat running for governor. And no governor in Virginia has ever won when he's of the same or he or she's the same party as a sitting president. Okay, well, I mean, that's that's sort of saying a lot considering the fact that it's been a long time since Republicans have, have won statewide in Virginia. Like Bob McDonald was the last Republican governor of Virginia before this. So um, I, I have a feeling that it actually does matter a little bit, but this is going to be the Democratic talking point is that we, we're not doing anything wrong. It's not us, it's the children, right? So you have this opinion piece from Perry Bacon in the Washington Post today titled, An Abnormal Republican Party Was Treated Normally by Voters in New Jersey and Virginia. Right? He says that really this is not a big deal. It's just that the president's party generally struggles in off-year elections because there's a turnout gap that favors the party that's not in control. And also, some voters swing away from the president's party because they don't like performance and because they want a balance of power in government. And really, the, the big issue here is that voters are stupid. So they don't realize that, that the Republican Party is so evil that they shouldn't have reacted as they normally do. So this is just a, this is the normal course of affairs. Now, listen, it is true that in off-year elections, the out-of-power party does better. It is not true that you expect to see swings like you saw in Virginia. That is not a true thing. You do not expect to see the House of Delegates completely reverse itself. You don't expect eight-point races in New Jersey to almost turn into dead heat or the Republican winning. You do not expect the Virginia governor's race to turn into a fairly large blowout in favor of the Republican in a state that the Democrats just won by 10. Right? I mean, there are certain things that are outside the margin of error. You might expect that in a state where somebody, where Joe Biden won by four, that suddenly the governor goes red. Right, that you might expect. But where Joe Biden won by 10, you, you generally don't expect that. That's kind of a rarity. So the first strategy by Democrats here to deal with the fact that the American public have turned largely against their agenda is to pretend that that's not a big deal and, and play it down. And the second thing that they are doing is they're saying, well, the, the real thing that's happened here is that they just don't understand us. Right? They don't understand us. This is the, this is the move that the Democrats routinely make when they lose. When Al Gore lost to George W. Bush, it was, well, he was just too smart for the crowd. When John Kerry lost to George W. Bush's, well, he was just too sophisticated. John Kerry, too sophisticated. Uh-huh. Super convincing. 
right? It's, 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 it's always some excuse or another. So Joe Biden was asked about this. Now, here's the thing about Joe Biden. One of the big reasons that Terry McAuliffe got his ass kicked is because Joe Biden is a terrible president and everybody knows it, right? Everybody knows that Joe Biden is a bad president. He is down in the low 40s. There is no excuse for him being down in the low 40s. See, here's the thing about Trump. Trump was never above 50% in the approval ratings. The day he was elected, his approval rating was like 47%. That's about as high as it ever went for Trump. He never got above 50 in any serious way. Joe Biden was up in the mid 50s. And now Joe Biden's in the low 40s. And by some polls, he's down in the 30s. He is a very bad, ineffective, and terrible president. He is bad in that he has pursued bad policies. He's ineffective in that he has not been able to pursue even anything remotely like a good policy. And he's unpopular because he is verging on senility. So there are a lot of bad things about the Biden administration. So Biden was asked, okay, why exactly did you lose? And Joe Biden says, because Americans are confused about what we do here. Right? The, the idea here from Democrats is going to be, as we will see, that the reason Democrats lost in Virginia is because they weren't radical enough. Again, more cowbell. Here's Joe Biden setting the uh, predicate for that argument. I just think people are at a point, and it's understandable, where there's a whole lot of confusion. Everything from, are you going to ever get COVID under control? To, are my kids going to be in school? Are they going to be able to stay in school? To whether or not uh, um, I'm going to get a tax break that allows me to be able to pay for the needs of my kids and my family. And they're all things that we're, that we're going to, that I'm running on, that we'll run on, and I think we'll do fine. I think we'll do fine. Um, yeah, good luck with that, Joe. He also said it's not his fault. He says, not me. I didn't do it. Stop blaming me. Joe Biden, the top of the ticket. All righty, Joe. Do you take some responsibility, and do you think that Terry McAuliffe would have won if your agenda had passed before election day? Well, uh, I think we should have should have passed before Election Day, but I'm not sure that I would be able to have changed the number of very conservative folks who turned out in the red districts who were Trump voters. But maybe, maybe. No, I I, I know we did, but I we also I was running against Donald Trump. Boom! Dirty little secret that he just let out of the bag right there. No one likes his agenda. Even Joe Biden realizes it ain't about his agenda. It's about who's running against Trump in 2020. And Trump had really high negatives among suburban moms. That's the reason why he won. But he can't. It's going to go down. Really, it'll go down in history. Joe Biden will. As one of the worst political decisions of all time to take the tack he has taken. It's really unbelievable. He was elected on the basis of being a moderate. He literally defeated Bernie Sanders in the primaries because he was not Bernie Sanders. And then he turned around as president and he embraced Bernie Sanders. He, He was elected to not be divisive racially. And then he turned around and he embraced the entire Ibram X. Kendi equity agenda. It's bewildering. Like on a political level, it's bewildering. Now, on an ego level, you understand why he's doing it. Because again, this is a doddering old man who wants to go down in history alongside LBJ and FDR. And he's likely a one-term president and he knows it. But on a pure political level, he took whatever popularity he had based on the entire image that he was running as a moderate. And he flushed it down the toilet. He basically ran as Joe Manchin. And then he governed as like... The, the Senate as like Ed Markey, right? It's, it, it's crazy. That is it. That is a, and he's leading his entire party down this path. Right? Because again, he and the rest of the Democratic Party are, in, they're infused with the notion that that 2012 Obama coalition is replicable and that all, they're just one big spending bill away from that becoming a permanent coalition. They are not one big spending bill away from that becoming a permanent coalition. In fact, their policies are not popular with a broad swath of the American people. But Joe Biden has to keep doubling down because he has no other choice. He has boxed himself in here. So here he was yesterday saying, the thing here, the real problem is that people want us to get things done. No, maybe, Joe, maybe it's that you did too much already. Maybe it's that the things you want to get done are unpopular. Maybe Republicans are being elected to stop your agenda, not to facilitate your, like, that's such a weird argument. It's such a weird argument. I'm promising to do X. I've been unable to get X done because I don't have enough Democrats in favor of what I'm doing. The public then votes in a bunch of not Democrats. And your response is, oh, well, you know, probably they loved my agenda. What? How does that make any sense? They're literally voting for people to stop your agenda. That's literally what they are doing. And and then Joe Biden's like, yeah, but we need more. Here he is. People want them to get things done, apparently. And no governor 
in Virginia has ever won when he's of the same or he or she's the same party as a sitting president. What I do know is, I do know that people want us to get things done. They want us to get things done. And that's why I'm continuing to push very hard for the Democratic Party to move along and pass my infrastructure bill and my Build Back Better bill. They want us to do more. That's what they want. More, more, more. Always. And uh, if this doddering old fool isn't enough for you, I've got another doddering old fool for you. That's Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker. So she was asked about this yesterday. And she basically like, the people spoke. And we heard them. And we will ignore them. Does he change the agenda for uh, the House? No. No. Does it change the agenda for the House? No. No. And this is the, this is the tactic they're going to pursue now. More. Tim Kaine, Senator from Virginia. His state just turned red. Okay, and here's Tim Kaine yesterday saying, oh, the big problem here is that the congressional Democrats didn't pass the infrastructure bill. That's the big problem here. If we had passed the infrastructure bill, then Terry McAuliffe would have won. Uh-huh, sure, sure, Tim. Congressional Dems hurt Terry McAuliffe. I mean, I'm going to be blunt. It's humbling to say it, but if uh, we had been able to deliver infrastructure and reconciliation in mid-October, he could have sold universal pre-K, affordable child care, infrastructure, creating jobs. Democrats control both houses, and they have to act like they have to be disciplined, have to give results. And the, um, you know, our, our inability to come together and get a result hurt him. Okay, Mark Warner saying the same thing again. Senator from Virginia saying, no, 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 what, this is what we need. We need, we need more, more of this. It's, it's astonishing. It's astonishing. None of them have the capacity, except for Joe Manchin, as we'll see, to actually say, well, maybe we should wait on this for a moment. Here is, uh, here's Mark Warner pushing the same, the go- same gospel here. You guys got the White House, the Senate, the House. When do you get more things done? I mean, only in Washington could people think that it is a smart strategy to take a once-in-a-generation investment infrastructure and prevent your president from signing that bill into law, and that's somehow a good strategy. Because that's Warner actually ripping the congressional progressives. Now, what's hilarious about this is that you got Warner and Kane saying if the congressional progressives had gone along with infrastructure, we would have won in Virginia. That's not true. Pramila Jayapal is saying, well, if you guys had just gone along with us on Build Back Better, then we would have won. How about none of that would have made a damn bit of difference because Americans aren't calling for any of this crap. You're already spending too much money. No one is desperate for the infrastructure plan. No one is desperate for Build Back Better. No one's desperate for any of it. That's why Republicans just won. But here's Pramila Jayapal saying, yeah, you know, it it really isn't about the infrastructure bill. It was really about Build Back Better. Uh, Again, the, the conversation here in reality is not a two-way conversation between the moderates and the progressives. The conversation right now is between the moderates, the progressives, and the radicals. And the progressives and radicals are going at each other. But in reality, the only people they should be listening to are the moderates. They're not going to. Here's Pramila Jayapal. There is no way that you can blame a 12-point swing on one bill. The reality is that voters do want us to deliver. I think Youngkin uh, appealed to parents and education. I think we have the formula to appeal to parents even more by passing a bill that provides child care, that provides pre-K, um, that provides jobs. So again, this is the agenda. Okay, so they're not pushing this thing forward. We'll get to how they're pushing this forward in a second because it's crazy. It's crazy. This is a party with a death wish, apparently. We'll get to more of this in one second. First, you may have noticed that gas prices are out of control right now. You may want to save some money at the pump. I mean, who doesn't want to save money? at the pump. This is why you need Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Shapiro. Get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Just download the app for free. Use promo code Shapiro to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. 
Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to 300 bucks a month in cash back. There is no catch. The cash back gets added directly to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app. Use promo code Shapiro to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your very first tank of gas. That is promo code Shapiro when you use that free GetUpside app. If you can save a bunch of money on that gallon of gas, why exactly wouldn't you when you can do that for free? Go to GetUpside right now. Use that promo code Shapiro. Get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your very first tank of gas. Alrighty. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, Americans are the targets of the corporate propaganda machine known as the mainstream media. It's time to start waking up to the constant deception and start exposing the skeletons they keep locked firmly in their closet. The Daily Wire is doing everything we can to bring you the truth every single day. Our investigative journalism movement is really going strong and making a big difference. The talents of our journalists, unparalleled. Luke Rosiak broke that Loudoun County sexual assault story, and it moved the needle in Virginia for sure. We watched as his excellent work, along with the work of journalists like Chris Rufo, affected real change in the Virginia election, which essentially turned into a bloodbath for the Democrats. But investigative journalism, as we've mentioned many times, is very expensive. That is why there are not a lot of right-wing investigative journalists. This is why we need your support. For as little as four bucks a month, you can help us keep exposing the truth and reclaim the narrative. Every new member who joins our ranks strengthens our ability to build up our investigative unit. If you want to join us in that fight, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code REALNEWS to get your fix of real news today. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So Democrats in the aftermath of what's happened are ramping up the spending, ramping it up. According to the Wall Street Journal, House Democrats are adding back in provisions to the Build Back Better plan that are big spending provisions. Nancy Pelosi wants to vote on it like today or tomorrow. Now, the Senate is not going to vote on it. Manchin and Cinema don't support this bill. She wants to add in a bunch of stuff and then ram it through so that she won't be blamed for what happened in Virginia the other day. They're crazy. This is crazy talk. According to the Wall Street Journal, House Democrats released an updated version of the party's social spending and climate package, adding back in a paid leave program that had previously fallen out of the bill including a measure sharply raising the $10,000 cap on the state and local tax deduction. The House bill, which top Democrats want to bring up for a vote in the chamber, is the latest proposal in the months-long negotiation among Democrats over Biden's agenda. It's set to face changes in the Senate where Joe Manchin has objected to the inclusion of a paid leave benefit. The bill includes a variety of measures proposing a universal pre-K program for three and four-year-olds, subsidies for child care and health care costs, tax credits for reducing carbon emissions, among other measures. The White House, te- the House text leaves many of those items largely unchanged from the White House $1.85 trillion framework released last week. I mean, I'm sorry, but this is crazy. And, and the fact that Nancy Pelosi is pursuing it just shows she's thrown up her hands and she's basically like, F it. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna throw out whatever I feel like throwing out. I'm gonna get, so, somebody's gonna vote for something around here. And I'm just gonna throw out a big bill and make Democrats vote for that bill. Now, here's the problem. What if all the moderates in the House are like, no? What if Abigail Spanberger in Virginia says, nah, not into it? They, they've got to, they are having a serious issue right here. Again, there are enough of the mansion cinema style moderates in the House and in the Senate to say, maybe we should hold up on the big spending bill. And now Nancy Pelosi has reversed the order. Before it was, we'll pass bipartisan infrastructure because there's more support for that. And then we'll pass Build Back Better. Now Nancy Pelosi wants to pass Build Back Better before bipartisan infrastructure. That's not going to work. None of this is going to work. But the idea is you just throw more crap at the wall and hope that something sticks because this is a desperation point for the Democrats and they cannot pull out of the tailspin. They are, they're already over the cliff. Hey, this isn't Thelma and Louise headed for the cliff. They're already over the cliff. They just haven't hit the ground yet. This is Wiley Coyote. He's over the cliff. It's that moment in the cartoon where he realizes and he looks down and gravity has not yet applied. And you see his eyes get real wide. And then it's... <laughs> that is what this is. Democrats just haven't hit the ground yet. According to the Washington Post, a new sense of political urgency swept over rest of Democrats from the White House to Capitol Hill on Wednesday as they raced to resolve the final issues stalling President Biden's roughly $3 trillion economic agenda in the aftermath of a stinging election defeat in Virginia. With a loss in that state's gubernatorial race, along with a slim win in New Jersey, party lawmakers found themselves anxious, exasperated, newly ready to try to advance two spending initiatives that have been bogged down in Congress for months. Now, here is the problem. Again, there are enough moderates in the House and the Senate, true moderates, to say, no, not super into it. For example, Joe Manchin yesterday, he came out, he's like, you know, you guys are saying we need to speed this up. I'm saying I think we need to slow this down. Here is Joe Manchin, the actual president of the United States. I I just think that the message was really sent. If we're going to do something, let's take time and do it right. 
let's make sure that people know what's in it. Uh, and I've said that before. Sometimes the, 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 and it's not intentionally the game's being played. It's where the system is very convoluted. People need to know that. What we're getting for it, what you're going to expect, how much you're going to pay for it, and go on and on and on. But, you know, we're talking about revamping the whole entire uh, tax code. That's mammoth. Totally. Okay, he's saying Americans are concerned about inflation. He is not wrong. He is not. Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. Not wrong. I mean, by the way, Americans are so concerned about inflation that the Fed just announced yesterday that they are tapering their buys. They're they're buying, they're dialing back their, their bond purchases. They're starting to taper now because they're afraid of inflation. In fact, the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, he said yesterday that temporary inflation had become not so temporary. He said it's not permanent, which is always very reassuring. Transitory is um, is a word that uh, people have has have had different understanding so for some it carries a sense of sh- of uh, short-lived and that's that's you know there's a real time component measured in months or let's say really for us what transitory has meant is that if something is transitory it will not leave a behind it permanently or or very persistently higher inflation okay so yes it turns out that the vast majority of people think of transitory as it's going to end <laughs> that is what transitory means I love that. We're, we're now in Clintonian, Clintonian, what does is mean? What is the definition of is? The definition of transitory, he's like, well, if it lasts for like two years, I guess it's still transitory. Okay, so they're, they're starting to taper the buy. Americans are worried about this. They're paying more for everything. And Joe Biden wants to blow more money into the economy, which is leading people like Abigail Spanberger from Virginia. Again, she's a Virginia blue dog Democrat. She says, Mr. Biden must not forget that for many voters, his mandate was quite limited to remove former President Donald Trump from their television screens and to make American life ordinary again. Nobody elected him to be FDR. They elected him to be normal and stop the chaos. Okay, points to Abigail Spanberger right there. And and yet the Democrats won't stop, can't stop, won't stop. Right, Nancy Pelosi wants to hold the vote according to Punchbowl News. They do a good job summarizing everything going on in D.C. They want to hold a vote on both Build Back Better and the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill today or tomorrow in the House. You read that correctly, they say. A vote sometime in the next two days on legislation calling for nearly $3 trillion in federal spending that's been delayed for weeks. They say when you, when you look at the dynamics, it doesn't make any sense. When looking at House Democratic strategy, you begin and end with Pelosi. She wants a vote on, on Build Back Better first and then infrastructure. Pelosi's had an interesting journey during this Build Back Better process. First, she said the House would only vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill after the Senate passed the reconciliation package. Then she caved on that. Then she tried to pass the infrastructure bill twice, and that failed. And here we are with the House on the brink of considering a massive $1.5 trillion plus reconciliation package that won't pass the Senate. So Pelosi has been forced to give a lot of ground process-wise as well as policy-wise. And now she's saying, you know what? I'm just going to throw it in Schumer's lap. I don't know what to do here. I'm just going to go with it. Pelosi's biggest hurdle, according to Punchbowl, is the moderates. Five Democratic moderates have publicly declared they want a budgetary score before they vote for Build Back Better. That's not going to happen. Here's a top aide to a moderate Democrat. At this point, so many members are bewildered by leadership's latest strategy. It appears we've given up on pre-conferencing, and there's no way to know the full cost and repercussions of all the newest additions and changes. I think frustration is growing by the lack of a strategy to get this into law, and that it appears we are doubling down on the wrong lessons from Tuesday. Also, where is the president? (laughs) He's sleeping it off is where the president is. Meanwhile, the progressives are like, yeah, you know, build back better. Let's, let's just cram a bunch of crap in there and then we'll send it over to Manchin and see what we can do on this. It's, it's amazing. So the Democrats are going to try and ram this thing through. They do, not have the, the, they do not have the capacity to do this. Kathleen Rice of New York, 
again, one of the Democratic moderates in a, in a purple district, she said, I don't understand some of my more progressive colleagues saying Tuesday night shows us we need to get both of these bills done and shove even more progressive stuff in. What we're talking about is not resonating with voters. Correct. Correct. So the Democrats are going to tear each other apart all because they cannot let go of this notion that their ideas are right. It's the American people who are wrong. All righty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out The Michael Knowles Show. Today, he discusses his take on Colin Kaepernick comparing the NFL combine to the slave trade. You can hear more details about that story over on Michael's show. That's available right now. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Host producer, Justin Barber. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. The establishment GOP learns nothing from Glenn Youngkin's victory. Democrats turn on white women. And left-wing commentator Van Jones admits that his fellow liberals are super-duper annoying. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 